failing forward, as we see from the introduction, many have demonstrated by their own life and experience the fact that failure doesn't need to be fatal. In fact, it's actually simply a part of growing. If we deal with failure in the right way, it's a part of our growth in Christ. We want to share tonight as we continue this uh, series called Failing Forward. By the way, there are still some promotional postcards available in the foyer that you can take and share with your friends and neighbors and coworkers. We've been talking for a few weeks on the subject of failing forward, living a resilient life. Let's look at our uh, foundational scripture as we start tonight. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, and it's written, uh, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, but penned by the Apostle Paul, who we know his life is a representative example of being resilient. Look at these, uh, look at these words very carefully. He said, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Anybody ever felt hard-pressed here? Huh? But not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but what? Not destroyed. I don't know about you, but those verses are always an encouragement to me that there's a way to handle things in life that allow us to fail forward. Abraham Lincoln, even as we saw in the introduction, what an example of one who failed so many times. Most of us would have given up ever pursuing that which we felt called to. But instead, he pressed on. He says, success is going from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. You see, the idea is failure is common to man in one form or the other. But the question is, how are we going to deal with failure? Will we allow failure to defeat us? Will we allow it to push us back? Will, will we allow it to uh, discourage us from ever taking risks in the future? Or will we handle it in a way that pleases God and helps us to grow? A couple of things uh, that... Uh, we want to do just by way of review uh, things that we've already talked about and we don't have time to review everything but a couple of things that we uh, we've talked about is number one we need to realize uh, as far as steps to to learning to fail forward rather than backwards number one realize it's all about how we respond to failure this was two weeks ago that we talked about this number two we said that we need to appreciate the value of failure number three that we need to get a new definition for failure and number four, that we need to overcome the fear of failure. And tonight, I want to share with you number five, and I'll spend the remaining time speaking of this. And by the way, a quick snapshot on where we're going next week. All next uh, Saturday evening, I'm going to be teaching on a key, key ingredient to learning to live a resilient life, and that is attitude. Attitude, a game changer. So make sure that you are uh, here, and if you're unable to, make sure that you go to our website under the media page and you'll see the messages uh, uploaded uh, there to where you can, uh, you can listen to it if you happen to miss. So let's talk about what it means to embrace failure. I know this sounds awfully strange. I'm talking about making failure your friend. Does that sound weird? No, it sounds weird to me the first time I thought about it. 
making failure, my friend. Listen, we are in no way advocating failure. We're sure not trying to encourage you to go and find a way to fail. What we are saying is, hey, if failure is common and normal to life, there's a way that we can fail successfully. And that's what we're talking about. Um, I like to say it this way. Failure is either going to be your friend or your enemy. It's your choice. Will you make your failures, your mishaps, your mistakes, your missteps, will you make them contribute to your own growth or will they kill you? They can either be a stumbling block or a stepping stone. It's all a matter of how you respond to failure. So my attitude is, look, if failure is going to be a friend or an enemy, it's my choice. I'm going to make failure my friend and be better because of it. Now, interesting quote from Dennis Waitley, who said, uh, I had a chance to meet him many years ago. He's a wonderful author and, and speaker. He says, failure should be our teacher, not our undertaker. Failure is delay, not defeat. It's a temporary detour, not a dead end. Failure is something we can avoid only by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. I know people, unfortunately, that have allowed themselves to be painted into the corner of failure, and they never take another step out. Let's talk a little bit about some of the positive benefits that you can embrace out of failure. You see, grasping the positive benefits of negative experiences is the way to turn something that is many times intended for evil or your harm and turning it around for good, right? All of us know the scripture from Romans chapter 8 that says what? All things work together for good for those that are called according to the Lord's purpose. That verse is twisted incorrectly so often. The truth of the matter is all things are not good. Have you ever woken up and realized that? Everything that happens in your life isn't good? And it's not all God. But I love this divine perspective that says what? All things what? Work together. In other words, all experiences collaboratively working together, God sovereignly orchestrating our lives, He will take them, turn them around, and help them advance you and his plans but in order for that to happen we have to grasp the positive benefits of negative experiences a few suggestions in that regard if I may first of all try to reflect on your experiences when you go through a mistake you go through a mishap you go through something that really you kinda deem as been a failure of one kind or the other when you go through it and when you're on the other side don't just go on from that nilly-willy and just say oh I'm just gonna forget about it and, and putting failure behind you is important but you need to get all of the good out of the failure that you can and the way you do that is to process process can everybody say that word with me process what do you mean process well, it begins usually by reflection so pause be contemplative prayerfully reflect on what you've been through and as you process that through reflection and prayer you'll begin to glean some helpful insights about yourself and wisdom for life 
I think another important step is to ask for feedback. In other words, seek wise counsel. Ask others for feedback. Ask them, say, you know, what, 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 you know, this is something that just happened to me. What do you think I should do? We, we know that the scriptures, especially in the book of Proverbs, is replete with admonitions to what? Seek wise counsel. There's safety in the midst of wise counsel. And it actually goes so far as Solomon says, anyone who doesn't seek counsel is a fool. And by the way, there are plenty of sources of counsel that are not wise. All right? So it's wise counsel that you are to seek feedback from. And I found that also people who really know me, people who really know me offer many times the kind of counsel and feedback that I need because they know what some of my tendencies are. But having sources for feedback is very important. Someone once said, feedback is the breakfast of champions. Without feedback, we're not able to really benefit and grasp the benefits from these negative experiences. Next thing I encourage you to do is take note of areas to adjust. I know this seems kind of almost uh, overly organized way to process after a failure, but, but if you'll just... You know, make note of the jot these things down. And as, you, as you're reflecting and as you're praying, the Lord will begin to speak to you and show you things and you'll realize things about yourself. You'll realize tendencies. You'll realize weaknesses. You'll realize areas maybe that you became vulnerable to the enemy that you can shore up next time. Again, what are we doing? We're trying to embrace failure as a positive, not a negative. And by taking note of adjustments, tweaks, changes that we need to make in our life, we can do that. Remember, there's no growth without change. Amen? There is no growth without change. Another step that I would encourage you to consider is understand the benefits that adversity produces. Adversity can potentially, remember what Paul said? There is great potential benefits from adversity but we have to literally snatch the good out of the jaws of defeat and we have to make failure our teacher i've learned a number of things about adverse situations and failure i found that adversity can prompt my innovation can actually cause me to innovate and find better ways to do things more creative improved methods not only lifestyle choices, but even the way to accomplish certain things, whether it be on the job, or whether it be in relationships, no matter what. I've also found that adversity, I used to be in total denial about this, but I have finally come to the conclusion, took me a while, that adversity, handled rightly, can develop maturity. You know, you can say amen to my messages. I mean, anytime you want to say amen. I mean, that was a good point, a pause, that you could have said amen. That, that was, you know, or, or, or oh my, or, I mean, whatever. No, I'm serious. Do you know what I'm talking about? So adversity, yeah, you're, you're, you're communicating now. Thank you. Adversity can either work against us or for us. And I found if we respond to adversity in a, spiritual way with the right mindset and heart god will actually cause that to help mature us it's not fun 
I'll grant you that. But it can help develop maturity. It can also motivate you. Adversity can motivate you. I find actually too much prosperity in our lives causes us to get lazy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You get really lazy in your walk with God. Happened to the children of Israel. Once they got across the Jordan River into the promised land, now they're living in the land of milk and honey. Now they're living in a place of fruitfulness. What happened? They began to turn and get, get all wacky in their walk with God. Started interacting with idolatry and all kinds of stuff. Why? Things were too good. That's why in Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 6, the Lord spoke very clearly through Moses and said, when you get to the promised land, when you get over there and you're enjoying water from wells that you never dug, you're, you're eating from the vineyards that you didn't plant, you're enjoying all of this benefits of the promised land, don't forget your God. Why do you think God's strong admonition was like that? In advance. In advance of them getting into the promised land. Why? God knows our tendency. God knows it's humanly we have a human proclivity towards just getting really wishy-washy, forgetful about the Lord, and, uh, and, and drifting away slightly as things are all good. However, when there's adversity, man, we're ready to pray and fast. We're on our knees. I mean, when, when, when we have a crisis, we're calling out to God. Don't know what I'm talking about? And so we, again, one of the positive benefits of adversity is that it can motivate us. It can also bring you closer to God. I know people whose lives have been destroyed and shipwrecked, their faith shipwrecked because of adversity. But it doesn't have to do that. It can actually draw you closer to God. I want to tell you a personal story. And uh, I don't know if all of you will understand it, but, um, but I'm going to share it anyway. Quite a number of years ago, I, I'm trying to put it in a time uh, frame for you, it's probably in the... Um, it's probably in the early 1980s, so a long time ago. I had been in ministry already for, you know, eight years, uh, nine, ten years in that time frame. But uh, I, God, I discovered that, that to my amazement as a good conservative Southern Baptist, I discovered that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were still available. They didn't cease like I was taught. And so I had been had an experience, an encounter with the Holy Spirit that became a real defining uh, moment in my life and I was growing in the things of God and pursuing God with all my heart and experiencing more and more of the, of the, the, the spiritual dimension of, of the gifts of the Spirit. And one of the gifts that I found that began to have real regularity in my own walk was the gift of prophecy. Um, prophecy primarily for the purpose of encouragement and comfort on rare occasions, something that was predictive in nature, but primarily for just encouragement. And uh, God would just, I mean, supernaturally, just give me things. And I knew it was just, it was downloads from him. And particularly in, when I, I found, whenever I would minister outside of the local church that I was pastoring, I found those gifts would really get cranked up. And I thought, wow, isn't this interesting? So I, over those early years, uh, some of my closer friends and pastor friends knew that the Lord was really anointing me in that area. And so one of my pastor friends from a church down in uh, um, southeast Texas called me and said, look, I want you, you know, when you're done with your service on Sunday morning, could you come and we're going to have a special service tonight. I want you to come and, and uh, share the word. And then afterwards, if you wouldn't mind, just minister to our people by the Spirit and, 
and, and just, in fact, I remember what he said. He said, just come and just be a prophet in our midst. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, thanks for the pressure, buddy, you know. So, uh, you know, oh, look, Sam, I'll come, okay. He said, come on. So I, I drove three and a half hours down there after our Sunday service. I can't remember whether Kara was with me or not. Were you with me, honey? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> she's seen me in all my moments of failure. Yeah. Anyways, so I drove, I drove down to the church, and, and I, I mean, I was tired. I mean, I'd already ministered at our service, been up since early that morning, and now I'm there late at night, and after the worship now, uh, those were the days that our services used to last two and a half, three hours. That was pretty normal back then, all right? And uh, so after the worship, extended worship, and after I preached, uh, now they wanted me to start prophesying over people. So it's already nine o'clock by that point, you know. So I began to, uh, just as the Holy Spirit would prompt me, I'd call someone out of the crowd and, and share what I felt the Lord's putting on my heart. And man, the Lord was just, people's lives were being helped. And, and there was just, you know, quick recognition. This is, God, how, how could God know that? And, and I'm just the instrument, right? I'm just the, I'm just the intermediary obeying what the Spirit prompts me to do. It went on and on. There's a couple hundred people there, and uh, they were like, you know, have you ever been in these crowds where people are just like drawing it out of you? You know, like, more, we want more, please stay later. And, and so I kept on and kept on. I'm getting more and more weak, more and more tired. And I'm like, man, I'm out of gas. And um, I can't remember if it was then or not, but I remember there have been times that I've actually had a stool brought up and sat on the stool and ministered to people, you know, as, as the night drew on. Uh, some of you don't need to worry. We won't go that long tonight. But anyway, uh, at, the, at, at the very end of the evening, I remember sitting down, sitting down and just saying, Pastor Sam, I'm done. By this time, it was about 1130 at night. And, uh, and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have one more couple that I want you to minister over before we dismiss the service. By this point, you know, people had filtered in, filtered out. And I'm like, Bring them on. So they come up. I prophesied over them. Before I, before I began to prophesy, I'm just being still, trying to tune in to what the Lord would say. And I just felt in my spirit, um, the, I had one word, oil, O-I-L. And I'm like, oh. And so I just spoke it out over them. When I said the word, those who were left in the audience, in addition to the couple that were standing in front of me, began to chuckle. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know if that's good or bad, but anyway, they're chuckling. And so I proceeded to interpret what that word, O-I-L, meant and represented. And I said, uh, I said, you know, the Bible, in the Bible, the word oil is, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and God is anointed. And I began to go on and on about things that I felt that, you know, this couple... And, uh, you know, on fumes, but I, I don't know, I don't remember what I said, but I remember that that was the context. Shut it down and went home. Literally two days later, I get a phone call from the pastor, who's a friend. Bobby, I felt that I should call and share with you something that happened. Do you remember on Sunday night you're, when you are ministering? By the way, we really appreciate you coming, but you remember the last couple you ministered on, over? I said, yeah. He said... Um, I don't have to tell this to you, but 
He said the reason everybody was chuckling that night is because he works on the oil fields. This is in an area of southeast Texas where petroleum and oil fields are very common. And uh, he works on the oil fields, and everybody knew it, and so they were chuckling because of, you know, the connection point that the Lord gave you immediately. He said, however, today, this morning, when he went to work, there was a major explosion on the oil rig that he was working on, and he was killed instantly. Thought you ought to know. Man, I'm like, I hang up the phone and I'm like, I was destroyed. Because, uh, this is my processing, I knew what was going on. By this point, I mean, God had already done some remarkable things that evening, so there's plenty of things to acknowledge that God was, you know, giving very clear, good signals. I, I was, you know, I was on target in, in a, on a good number of counts. But on this particular one, I went wayward. And the Holy Spirit gave me the word O-I-L. Why do you think you may have given me that? My interpretation was it was intended as a warning so that we could have prayed over him and put protection around him spiritually and possibly protected him from the incident that was going to happen. God knows everything in advance. Amen? He knows what's going to happen in our lives. And... Uh, that's how I interpret it, at least. Okay? You know, whether you might want to argue with it, but that's how I'm interpreting it. I'm like, oh man, I so screwed up. I'm like, I can't believe this. God was trying to tell me what was getting ready to happen in this guy's life, and we could have prayed and we could have avoided his death. Now, his wife, his kids. And I took the blame for his death on me. Now, I'm telling you, it weighed heavy, heavy, heavy on me. So much so for probably the next six months, even in church services, I would refuse to allow any, anything and any, any, any activity that might be deemed, you know, spiritual activity and, and words of wisdom or knowledge. I, mm -mm, no, we're not going to go there. Because I was, so, um, I was so condemned and so negative about the experience. I wasn't blaming God, but I was blaming myself. So the good news is I recovered. And uh, I, after some serious time of prayer over that, I realized that it was clearly a failure. And I owned it. I mean, quickly I owned it and, and said, Lord, just forgive me. And what I, but, but what I figured out through my processing time was there were really positive lessons that could be learned. And I allowed that failure to be a teacher to me, to mentor me. So one of the things that it mentored me in is whenever you're really physically, totally drained, don't put yourself on the line like that. Just It, it's, it doesn't mean every time it's going to blow up in your face, uh, forgive the pun, but uh, you know it's not a good thing. And, and you're taking risk, if you will, in operating... In, in that vein that, that aren't appropriate. And um, there were numerous other things, which I won't take the time to sh tell you now, that God showed me, I made note of it, I learned it, I applied it in my life, and I said, okay, Lord, I came to a point of saying, I am, I am open to what, you know, the Holy Spirit is doing, and I'll, from this point on, 
I'll be more open than ever before, but I'm also going to be wiser, more careful. And when I speak something, I want to make certain that it's you. And if I'm uncertain at any degree, I'll qualify it. I'll qualify it. And uh, since that, now that was back in the early 1980s, probably 1982, 1983, you know, giving all the glory to God, I mean, I could tell you stories and stories all night long about prophetic breakthroughs that have taken place in people's lives as I've listened to God's spirit and spoken things to people that have literally transformed and broken things off their lives and all kinds of stuff that's happened. My point is, is that I learned from the failure. I embraced it. Finally, it took me eight months. And it was a bad eight months. But I did. And the result was, today I'm much better because of it. You know, grasping the positive benefits of negative experiences, embracing failure, is exemplified numerous times throughout the Bible. And you could probably immediately come up with a few cases can I just mention two very quickly to you, and I won't go back and tell you the whole context and story because you, you likely know them well. Uh, one is the example of Moses. Quite an example, isn't it, of a turnaround story. Here we have Moses, obviously a gift from God, you know, that had destiny written all over his life in Egypt from day one, and then he really, really messes up. He fails through letting his anger, which... My personal opinion is that was one of his terminal tendencies. His anger was one of his major issues that he let get out of control, and his anger caused him to kill another Egyptian. The result of that incident was God removed him out of Egypt, put him out of, out of the, kind of the, under the Pharaoh's uh, palace, and removed him to the backside of Midian. In the desert. I mean, this is like arid, dry, nobody wants to be a Midian. He moves him back there and lets him just work on the work in the wilderness ranch. Forty more years. He was 40 years old. It's interesting, Moses' life is very easily uh, written out in decades. Forty years up to the point of the murder, 40 years in the wilderness. You know, sometimes it takes a while to process failure. Sometimes it takes time for God to work the lessons in our lives that we need to learn from the times that we fail. I personally believe that it was a matter of obviously God aligning things and setting things up for him to be the, the deliverer for Israel out of Egypt. God's timing is perfect, but I also think it took a while for Moses to allow God to work through that failure in his life. 40 years to be exact. Now I pray you will not allow 40 years to go by as you're trying to overcome and be resilient from your failure. But clearly Moses is an example, and you know the rest of the story and how God uses him to deliver the children of Israel and all the rest. I think Joseph from the book of Genesis is another great example. Joseph, in fact, uh, the scripture that I put up here in Genesis 15, verse 20, uh, is taken out of the story of Joseph, which most of you remember the story that God gave him a dream. He was a dreamer. And um, the dream got him in trouble because he unwisely started talking about the dream. You know, we have to be careful when God speaks things to our hearts uh, in a dream or regardless. We've got to be careful how we, how we share that or if we should even share it. Sometimes we're just meant to ponder it and to pray and intercede. Joseph just lets it out. He's young, he's immature, and his brothers didn't take kindly to it, right? So the result was what? Throw him into a pit, 
sold him into slavery, and then he goes through all these difficult experiences. But the, the summary result of Joseph's life is he allowed God to teach him what he needed to learn. He had some initial failures in his life, but he recovered. He was resilient. He checked his attitudes. He allowed God to do a deep, deep work in him, so much so that God began to give him such favor that from the pit, from the depth of prison, God raised him up to be the prime minister over Egypt. This is a verse at the end of the story. He says to his brothers, now bowing in front of him, dream fulfilled. You intended this to harm me, but God intended it for good. What a perspective to have about stuff that happens in life. Many times it's intended to harm us. But if we can take this perspective and say, God, what are you doing in this and benefit greatly from it? I think we can learn from our failures. I think that we can neutralize the negative impact of failures by making failure our mentor, our educator. And one of the ways that we do that is learn to ask the right questions. I, 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 you know, I have to tell you, one of my maybe greatest life lessons that I learned, and, and I credit a guy named Bob Beal, uh, an author. I don't even know if Bob's still alive anymore, but a great, great man of God, successful business consultant. And Bob taught me the power of asking the right questions. Learning to ask the right questions of yourself, of what's going on in your life, and asking the right questions of people that you're around. Even to this day, most people that end up in, in any kind of significant relationship, you know, at some point will start saying, could you, could you stop with the questions? And what they really mean is that the questions have started getting a little bit you know, a little bit too probing, you know. Uh, these are kind of uh, maybe fall into the category of what we call coaching questions too often, and uh, I have to back off the questions. But I have learned that when you deal with failure, it's very helpful for you to ask the right questions. So I've made a list of some for you, all right? And again, if you sign up to get these, um, uh, the message outlines, uh, slides, then, then you'll have this. But if not, you may want to jot these down. First question. What caused the failure? There's all kinds of categories of failure. There's everything from just a, a, a minor, uh, you know, oversight, you know, a, a sin of omission. Um, what's the source of it? How did it happen? What caused it? There are a lot of different sources. Sometimes, did you know that you are the cause of your failure? Sometimes it's other people. I know that's maybe sometimes hard to admit, but sometimes it's other people. We go through stuff that's caused by other people many times. Sometimes it's in the form of persecution. Sometimes it's in the form of just incidental things that happen. Sometimes it's, you know, it's all a variety of things. Sometimes it's actually Satan himself that's setting you up for failure. So stopping for a moment when you're going through failure, when you're on the other side of it, asking the question, what's causing this? is very helpful information for you to have to know how to process through it. Sometimes it's just circumstances. Can I just tell you this? A lot of failures we go through is a result of living in a fallen world. 
You know, I get a kick out of people who, you know, are on a trip and they have a flat tire and they start rebuking the devil for the flat tire. I mean, you know, hey, you know, maybe it was your fault. Maybe you didn't, you know, check the, uh, check the tire pressure. Or maybe it was just the fact that we live in a fallen world and we, and we drive on roads that have stuff on them, okay? Maybe that's it. Have you ever thought maybe that's possible? All right. Second question to ask is, what can I learn from what just happened? What can I learn? What lessons, what takeaways are there that I can glean from this? Now, let me just tell you what the problem is here. This takes some real time. It takes process time. And sometimes it actually means you, need, you might need someone to help you ask those questions and discern those lessons. Because sometimes we're so banged up. I mean, I was really banged up for six months. And I don't know how many other people I let into my life about that at that point. I don't remember. But sometimes we really need to allow someone else, a mature Christian, remember Galatians 6.1, those who are spiritually mature help restore those who have been overtaken by a sin and a spirit of meekness. Sometimes we need to have even professional help to help us learn what we need to learn from what's happened in our lives. So ask that question, what can I learn from what just happened? Third question. It's so important to ask this question. What is God doing in my life through this? And now I like to take it one step farther and say, God, what are you saying in my life right now? Now, you might think that's a very obvious question to ask. What is God doing and saying in my life in this situation? But I find very few people ask that question. They just go through stuff. And they respond, they bounce off the walls, they fall down, fall back, crater, shipwreck, all different responses. But I, a mature Christians <laughs> that have to stop sometimes to be reminded to ask this question, because we get so wrapped up in the pain and the, you know, the tension, the anxiety, the, all the stuff that's swirling around our life when we have failures, experiences that appear to be failures, that we need to stop and say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in my life? And can I tell you a secret? I found that even when your circumstances or when your adversity may be satanically inspired, and sometimes they are, God has something he's up to. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I thought I was a devil. Yes, but God loves to take advantage of Satan's intents and his attacks. So God has something he's wanting. So after you've discovered the source, number one, what caused the failure, at some point you need to say, wait a minute, God, what do you want to do during this? Ask what God's up to. And then number four, ask the question, do I need to repent? Sometimes if it's self-inflicted or you have a part, usually it's not 100% one way or the other. Usually it's a mixed bag. But many times there's a part of it where we need to say, I own that. In my case, the, you know, the messed up prophecy, you know, there were areas that I had to repent for. Now, I had been feeling guilty about stuff that I wasn't responsible for, but, but you understand what I'm trying to say? There was a part I had to own. And many times we don't own our stuff. Okay? 
We just don't own it. So ask God, Lord, Holy Spirit, you are here to convict and lead me to see where I have wronged the Lord. Convict me if I have something to repent of. And I'm telling you what, the Holy Spirit, if you give him permission to convict you, he usually will show you very quickly. Usually there's not much delay in conviction. And then number five, ask the question, who can help me with this? Here's a couple of scriptures on wise counsel. Who can help me with this? Where can I seek advice from the right people who can help me with what I'm trying to glean and learn through this particular failure? I could stand here tonight and tell you many other failure stories. You know, when you get to a certain point in life, you're overwhelmed with those stories. Okay, there are plenty of them to draw from. What's important for you and for me is that we allow failure to draw us closer to God. That we don't allow failure to be fatal. But we actually allow it to be our teacher, our friend, by embracing it. Would you let me pray with you tonight? Stand to your feet, please. Thank you, Lord. You know, before um, I offer this closing prayer, just ask tonight, there might be someone here tonight who maybe you have gotten banged up in life. Maybe like me, you're kind of in that circular pattern of just can't quite break out of the cycle. And yet you need to. Uh, I just want to pray for you tonight. If you're here tonight and you've had some incident, whether it's self-inflicted or not, and you just kind of, you feel that you're in that cycle and you're just kind of looping, and you really just need God to come through and just help just break you out of that cycle so that you can go on in his plans for your life. Sometimes we really need powerful prayers to break us out of that. Is there anybody here tonight who said, Pastor Bobby, pray for me in that regard. I feel like I'm in that loop right now. Just, just include me in your prayer. I'm just going to pray a general prayer of faith. Won't embarrass anybody. See hands up, many hands across the congregation. Father, we come tonight. Heavenly Father, into your presence. Not because we earned it, but because of grace. We're so thankful for your grace, your unconditional love, your unconditional acceptance in our lives. And tonight, Lord, we acknowledge, Lord, that there's in some of our lives there's stuff that's going on that we just feel like we've labeled ourselves a failure. When we're not a failure, we have failed, but we are not failures. Lord, I pray that one of the steps that we want to take tonight is to learn to embrace failure. Make it our teacher, make it our mentor, and grow from the adversities we've been in. But there's some that are here right now, Lord, you see them, you know their hearts, you know their circumstances, and they are looping and looping and looping around in a cycle of failure in some particular area of life. And I come against the enemy's hand and his work in those situations in Jesus' name. And most importantly, I break off of them the sense of condemnation. I break off them the sense of guilt. Lord, help them to see and to recognize What's really going on? I pray that you would open them up 
even beginning tonight, to hear from you on what you're doing in their life at this moment, at this juncture. So they can embrace it, learn from it, grow, reveal to them what you're doing, what you're saying. I pray that they will have ears to hear, spiritual ears attentive to your word and your wisdom. Now, Lord, for all of us, we just say, Lord, that we're going to change our outlook when it comes to the failures and we're going to begin to grasp positive benefits even from negative experiences. Lord, we declare tonight that that which the enemy has intended for evil, that which other people have intended for wrong, God, we say and we declare by faith that you are taking those things and you are turning them around and transforming them for good because all things work together for good because we love you. We pray this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.